Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Uh, Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 6. Luke in chapter 6. Praise the Lord. We're moving ever so slowly through this passage, but I'll tell you what, as I've been studying this, there's so much in this for us today. You know, just dealing with the Beatitudes and, you know, the attitudes that Jesus wants to instill in each and every one of us, you know? And I don't know a better topic than we could talk about than what it is that not just Jesus wants us to be, but that he's created us to be. And, you know, I understand that as fallen human beings, we've marred the creation intent. And yet that's why he comes and tells us that he wants to make us new, that we've been born again. I'm a firm believer, and I know there's different views on this, but I'm a firm believer that when he we are born again, that he has completely transformed us within. Now, we may not know how to walk in that completely yet, but I don't buy the yin and the yang. You know, I don't buy the yin and the yang idea that the old nature is still battling the new nature and all that going on. And I think the problem with that is that we've added words to what the scriptures tell us. The scriptures clearly tell us that we have flesh and the flesh has not been transformed yet. Right. We're still waiting for that to happen as we're brought into the presence of Jesus one day in those new bodies and everything goes with that. And flesh, I understand, is more than this, right? But it's that, 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 that humanity of which we are in this world. And yet at the same time, He's changed us within. We don't have the old heart and a new heart. We have a new heart given to us that's beating within us. He's replaced our heart and He's written His, His laws right on to the, the tablet of flesh now, not of stone. But like Paul tells us, we're learning to put on, right? We're learning to put on that which we've been made into. We're learning to walk out. We're learning to to walk in the things that he's made us. And so it isn't a struggle of hoping that, you know, the, the, the old nature can be subdued by the new nature. It's a question of learning to walk in the new nature that our flesh might be brought into conformity to what it is that Christ has made us. I hope that makes sense to you guys. And when we're studying these things that we're looking at here in the book of Luke, in particular here in the Beatitudes, this is talking about the new way of thinking, the new way of living that's already, we've already been given the power to, to walk out these things, but now we're learning how. We're learning how. And, and, and a part of that learning how is learning to walk in dependence upon God's Spirit who's in us learning to walk in dependence upon Jesus who's made us these things and has given us the power to be these things. Will we walk this out perfectly in this life? No, we won't because the flesh still gets in the way. But at the same time, we can be further along today than we were yesterday and further along tomorrow than we are today and that hopefully we're continuing to progress towards this end goal that that Christ is working in us. And, and, and when we stand before him one day, all of this will be complete. All this will be finished. Praise the Lord. Well, let's look this morning. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 24 today, but let's begin. Um, let's actually begin. Let's see here. Um, let's look at verse 12. 
Luke 6, beginning at verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles, Simon whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so they did, so did they, I'm so, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. And Lord, we want to know your heart because we know, Lord, that it's your heart that's beating within us now as believers. And Father, we want to understand more of what you've made us into, what you're shaping us into, and your way of thinking that it can become our way of thinking. Lord, we we know that the things you ask of us can't be done by our own effort because that would be no different than the law, which we could not keep. It would be no different than you giving us Ten Commandments and then expecting us by our own strength and ability to to be and live those things. So, Father, we know that this is not about what we can do, but it's about what you have made us into. And, Lord, what you can do through us and how you've changed us. And, Lord, what we can now walk in the strength that you've provided as we're walking in dependency to begin to live these very things that you've laid before us. That seems so difficult. It's such a high standard, and yet, Lord, it's really within our grasp because you've placed it within our grasp by what you've done in us, not lowering the standard for us, but raising us to the standard through what you're doing in us, through your power and your spirit, Lord. 
So take your word this morning and bless us with it, but most importantly, challenge us with it and grow us and strengthen us so that we can be all that you've made us to be, Lord. Teach us these Beatitudes. For it's in Jesus' name we all pray and God's people prayed. Amen, amen. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Verse 24. Picking up this morning in verse 24, we've been looking here at the Beatitudes. We started that last week, moving our way through it. And, and this is still a continuation of it, but now we're given the, the counters to each of the Beatitudes where it was, blessed are you. Remember when he says, blessed are you, it means, oh, happy are you. Oh, happy are you. And he was talking about all these different ways of thinking, ways of living that would make us happy. That's so contrary to the way the world thinks. But now what he's doing is he's still dealing with those Beatitudes, but he's giving the, contra- the contrast to those. And he begins here with this woes, these woes. And literally what he's saying in this verse, in verse 24, is, but woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. In other words, what, what sorrow awaits you. Literally, that's what it means with the woe. What sorrow, what sorrow awaits you who are rich? Those of you who are hanging to onto your life, and hanging on to, to the things of your life now. For you have your only happiness now. Your reward is now in these things, but you won't have it later in eternity. If you want to hang on to your life now, you're free to do that. <laughs> Jesus absolutely gives you the freedom to hang on to the things that you want to hang on to. And he's saying, if you want to hang on to your life now, you're free to do that. But be warned. Be absolutely warned that you are trading it for something which would, would would have been so much better for you if you would have just let go of what you think is important and embrace the riches that he's offered to you, something that's far more lasting, you see. You know, as Jesus clearly says, as recorded in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 24 through 26, Jesus says this, Matthew 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, Jesus is saying, if you want to find real life and things of lasting value, then you have to let go of yourself. You have to let go of yourself and let go of all of the things that you think are so important that you're filling your life with now. It is the, it's only in losing your life, as Jesus says, that you're going to really find life. Isn't that the truth? I mean, think about that even back to, to your salvation. It was, when you think about that, coming to Christ was about letting go of who you were to become who he wanted to make you and to become who he is. You see, there's loss in that, but there's such gain in it all. And so here as Jesus talks about this, oftentimes people read this verse and without the discernment that the Spirit gives, they think Jesus is talking about material riches that he's talking about material things. And although he does give warning about clinging to material things in this life, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will 
be also, boy, that's a convicting last line and verse, isn't it? Where your heart is. Where's your heart? What's your heart invested in? Because it's a real indicator. You're rather, what, what is it that you're looking to? Because it's a real indication of where your heart is. And, and, and there are a lot of people who see material things as the solution. It's what they're investing themselves in. They see it as their solution to their fulfillment, to their happiness. Some even try to spiritualize it. Do you know that? Some have even tried to spiritualize it. I mean, the entire faith and prosperity movement within Christianity does just that. It makes it about the material. It makes the material the focus of God's blessing in their lives. And yet that theology is not at all taught in the scriptures. Oh, it can be drawn from the scriptures if you want to take a verse out of its context here or a snippet of a verse here and apply it. But in its context, the scriptures never teach that. Now, the scriptures do not necessarily make having material things wrong. I want to say that, too. It doesn't make having things wrong, but material things are never to be sought after, nor are they to be looked to as God's blessing in our lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul gives us one of the clearest warnings in Scripture about the pursuit of the material, and, and he tells, tells what our focus should really be about and what we really should be pursuing. He says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through verse 12. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And you know I have to say this, right? Because all pastors love to say that. You ain't never seen a U-Haul following a hearse, right? Hitched to the hearse. You ain't taking it with you. I've seen people put all kinds of stuff into the caskets of people. I've seen everything. I've seen all kinds of stuff go into caskets as though somehow they're going to need it. It ain't going to happen. Trust me. You're not going to need it. But he says, and, and having food, he says in verse 8, and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, now you hear what he says. He's not saying those who are rich. He says those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, do you hear he's not talking about the unbelieving world here? He's talking about believers. And he's saying they're the ones that appear themselves through. They're the ones because they pursued this that in a lot of ways they've strayed from what's important in their, in their belief and, and in the faith. But you, he says in verse 11, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't get any clearer than it does in that passage. It's the placement of, of material riches. It's, it's not that material riches are necessarily wrong, but the pursuit of those things and, and the spiritualization of those things clearly is not being taught in the Scriptures. And, and even though God does give an abundance of, uh, of material things to some people, it, it's never meant to be something to be pursued or, or, or to be taken as a sign of His special blessing upon their lives. It's simply that he has entrusted these things to them for the purpose and the work that he wants them to use it for. 
As 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, tells us, Paul goes on. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. I think Paul had a lot to say about this stuff. But he says this in verse 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Money, material things, material riches were never intended to be viewed as a source of fulfillment for our lives or or, or to be seen as a, a, a sign of God's special blessing upon any of us. I got to tell you, I cringe. You know, and I've said this in my life at times, you know, when we've just been in a time of abundance in our lives to say, oh, man, God is really blessing us now. And and I'm I'm completely I've realized that how incognizant we are. That's probably not a good. Is that even a word? How incognizant you understand what I'm saying, though, how unaware we are the people we may be standing next to who are believers who have nothing. So what does it mean? I'm blessed and they're not. Oh, I have more faith and they don't have enough faith? I know some people who have nothing who have more faith than I have because they're serving and praising the Lord in the midst of their poverty without even flinching. And 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 God provides for me, and I go through these ups and downs in my faith and questioning God and where is he because I got a cold, you know, but they don't do that. It is not that we're more specially blessed if you have and you're living in abundance. You don't have to feel guilty about it, but but it's not about those things when you understand the eternal perspective of what God is saying about the material. He gives to some and he withholds from others. But when he does, when he does give to those that he gives to, his intent is that those things would be wisely used, that those things, that, that they're good stewards. I would hope that in the bigger picture that those who receive those material things in their life, not rewards, but are receiving the material abundance in their lives would realize that maybe it's because the Lord is trying to show them one of two things. I trust your ability to be good steward of these things and to use them for my purposes, or he's given it to them to show them how poor stewards they are and what they need to wake up to, that those things really are not about his blessing. Could be. But the point is the scriptures never make spiritual blessing about these things. And so far as churches that teach this kind of stuff, they need to take heed to Jesus's words to the church of Laodicea as recorded in Revelation chapter 3. Verses 17 through 18. Revelation 3, verse 17, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So, Material things, not to be pursued, can be received, but not to be the focus of our lives. But as I started out by saying, Jesus doesn't primarily have material riches in mind with this statement that he's making here, but but he's still giving the contrast to spiritual poverty that we were looking at in, in, already in the beginning of the Beatitudes. And there is a form of riches that many people seek from the self-righteous ideas and, and practices that they engage in for their spirituality. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and those like them had created a system of religion which, which they filled their life with. 
And in doing that, they felt that it made them rich spiritually because of all the things that they were doing. They saw themselves as more especially blessed because of all the practices that they were keeping doing. It made them so much richer than other people because of all the things that they were doing. The traditions they created and followed, the, the rituals that they exactingly kept, the external form of spirituality that they projected to people, seeing themselves as examples to everyone else because of what they were doing. And it all gave them a sense of spiritual richness and fulfillment. But Jesus is saying to them and to people like them even today, even though you might find these things fulfilling and enriching, it's really empty and it's devoid of anything of real value for your life. And until you empty yourself of these things, trading it all for spiritual poverty, you're really deceiving yourself and creating a false sense of spiritual satisfaction and richness. Oh, you might be getting your consolation, literally your, your fulfilling comfort. That's what that means, consolation, your fulfilling comfort from it all now. But it's robbing you of the real comfort and satisfaction that comes by emptying yourself of your spirituality and your ideas and exchanging it all for the riches of what God provides and wants to give you for your life personally. But he can't. And he won't do that if you're content with what you have filled yourself up with spiritually. Now, he's not talking about the spiritual disciplines of the faith that we do. He's not talking about the things that we walk out in our faith. He's talking about that self-developed, self-righteous kind of spirituality that these guys thought was making them rich. And Jesus is now talking to the masses, and he's saying, don't you go there. Woe to you (laughs) if you think that that's where your richness come from. So if you truly want to find life and the riches that will completely fill and satisfy you in this life and in the life to come, then you need to lose your life as you know it in exchange for the life that God wants to make available to you, even in the spirit realm, you see. It is poverty of spirit that will fill your life and not the material or even the the self-established spiritual things of this life and this world. That is the principle of God's kingdom. Spiritual poverty is at the heart of God's kingdom and his economy and the way he thinks. I got to tell you, honestly, for all the years I have studied my Bible and all long years that I've taught the scriptures, 19 years now I've taught, and that doesn't count what I taught in Bible studies over the years, even when I was in the military. I don't think that spiritual poverty has ever jumped out to me as much as it has as I was working my way through this preparation for the book of Luke. I believe it undergirds everything for us. When we understand that emptying of self, that emptying of self of all the things that we think are important, all the things that we think make us spiritual, all of the things that somehow we think make us better people to God, to let those go so that there's nothing in us other than what he puts in us. <laughs> because the problem is anything I put into myself is going gonna, is gonna to take up space if you will. There's only so much space to go around in our lives. And it's going to take up and it's going to inch out. That's why I said last week when we looked at this, it is really at the heart of of John's statement, John the Baptist's statement, even though John didn't necessarily have this context in mind, but it certainly applies. I must decrease so he can increase. It's how it works. It's it's poverty of spirit. And and Jesus' words ring loud and clear on this issue. Just as we read in Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Do you want to be rich? Then buy it from me. 
by the righteousness I can give you, by the things that I can give you a value for your life spiritually, and you'll be rich. And white garments that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes and with eye salve that you may see. But woe to you who are rich, rich in the things that are not of me or my kingdom, Jesus is saying. For you've received your consolation. You've gotten it in this life. There ain't nothing left for you in the next, you see. Yep. Well, look on. He says in verse 25, the next one, woe to you who are full for you shall hunger. Literally, Jesus is saying here, what sorrow awaits you who are fat and filled now, content with what your life consists of, full of all the world has to offer and, and lacking any hunger for God and the righteous things he knows you need and which only he provides. You might feel full now, but you're really malnourished. And one day that malnourishment is going to catch up with you, but then it'll be too late. As I said when addressing the second beatitude, you know, the stuff of our lives, the stuff of the world, the, even some of the spiritually good stuff that we fill our lives with, but which isn't of Jesus himself, will fill us up. It will give us some sense of satisfaction in quelling the hunger within us. But it's a satisfaction that will not last, nor will it provide the nourishment that our souls really crave and what we really need. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.